As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. There's so many people that do jobs that don't fulfill them. When you think about it, we spend a huge portion of our lives working. You figure a third of our year working. So why don't we do something that we actually enjoy doing? And this job, I have, I think, a younger vibe to me, and I get to work with a lot of young, younger people. That's another thing that I love about this job is that I get to mentor these young people and watch them thrive, which is hugely satisfying to me. Hillary Weintraub, my guest today, has always been the type to listen to her gut instinct about a situation. And I do know this. I went to college with her. But still, it took her 15 years to make the career pivot that landed her right where she was always supposed to be. Welcome back to Bucket List Careers. I'm Krista Laurie. Thanks for joining. So Hillary started out on Wall Street, truly worked her way up, thriving in different corporate settings, from the trading desk to COO of a startup. She walks us through it all with full transparency in this episode. Her successes and her tough times, including being fired while dealing with a bad breakup not long after a divorce. That's when she said she was at her lowest. But Hillary shares with us how she bounced back when she recognized and removed a familiar mindset roadblock that many of us have experienced, and you'll have to listen to hear about it. Hillary then entered a totally unknown landscape in entertainment, taking a job as a PA or production assistant on a commercial set at age 41, which was humbling for an accomplished finance professional. But Hillary did what she had to to make changes that would lead to the most rewarding success levels of her life. Let's dig in. Hillary, welcome to the podcast. I'm so pumped that we're doing this. Me too. We should start by letting everybody know that we've been connected since college mm -hmm. in the same sorority at the University of Delaware, Alpha Phi. Let's be real. You were way cooler than me in college. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I necessarily agree with that, but <laughs> if you say so. No, no, no. It, no, it's true. <laughs> I was older. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Well, listen, what I remember most about Hillary Weintraub and her college years, and we did spend at least one summer at Dewey Beach, Delaware together. Yes. While we were both a part of this sorority and the collective, you know, sisterhood, you've always been your own person. You are truly an individualist, which is why I'm not surprised that you're doing this with me. That's why you are a bucket list career type of person. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, I do definitely try to be my own person. And it served you. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how to be anything else. There. Yeah, so before we dive into how you've carved out your successful career as a producer of commercials, 
over a little less than a decade based out of New York City. You often travel to amazing locations. I know you're heading to Sicily soon. I think listeners would love to hear about that, the ins and outs of it. But before we talk about how you've achieved this, your bucket list career, we want to dial it back to where you were before, how you made the transition, and your 15 years in finance on Wall Street. So let's walk through and you know dig into that first portion of your career. The first 10 years, I was living in Dewey that summer, and my brother got me an interview with the company you work for. So in, I want to say around August 1st, the summer after I graduated, I came up to New York and interviewed for the job. I got the job in that first interview, and they wanted me to start that day. And I'm like, ah, sorry, can't do that. I have to give my waitressing job two weeks notice. (laughs) So (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. So I went back to Dewey for two weeks, and I... Got prepared to move to New York. My brother and I got an apartment together and it was with a trading company. I started in the back office. I worked as the assistant with the CFO. We had an off-floor trading desk where we had probably about, I want to say at that time, probably six to eight traders. We had a big presence on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, which was where my brother worked. I had no interest in doing that. I love the energy of the trading desk outside. Mm -hmm. I have a very, I guess like, I don't want to say male energy because I'm definitely very feminine, but I've always gotten along with men. I was the youngest at this job and I was the only girl. And I stayed that way for my first 10 years at that job. As I started doing it, I didn't love working with the CFO. I saw where the action was on the desk and I took it upon myself to just work my way out there. So I went out there the end of the day, I started answering phones. Basically, we had three bosses, Steve, Andy, and Jeff. Andy, I thought, was the smartest. So I sat next to Andy, and I kind of worked my way into being his clerk, and I learned from him. And he mentored me through that process. I stuck with him for, I mean, when it was said and done, it was 10 years. I was at that job almost to the day. Wow. Yeah. Why did you end up leaving? I think you told me that it closed shop, right? That first job. Yeah, they closed up shop. Yeah, the type of trading we were doing became obsolete. It just wasn't sustainable. And that was somewhat of a turning point. I mean, there have been a few of them in your career, but you did tell me you were a bit panicked at that time when when they closed down. And you went through a tough time in your personal life as well. And you're okay talking about that too with us, which I appreciate because you say that it really is a part of your evolution. Absolutely. So tell us what was going on and how you got through it. I had gotten divorced in 2002, and then I got into another serious relationship immediately after that. That ended very badly. We won't get into details about that, but that ended in 2004, right as the company was closing down. Yikes. So it took me into a bit of a tailspin. My confidence was kind of shot all around. I had been doing one thing for 10 years, and that one thing that I did I couldn't do it again. It wasn't like I could pick up and go to another trading company and do what I was doing. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't have closed down. So I went into a tailspin a bit and, you know, I took care of myself mentally. I was in therapy. I did what I had to do to pull myself out of it. But it was really tough. I was having a hard time even getting out of bed at that point. Mm. But then I had to rally because I was divorced, supporting myself, and I had to get a job. So where did you end up? I ended up at another trading company called Israel Englander. I shifted from the trading desk to middle office and I managed the accounts receivable department. It was good because A, it was a job. 
it was somewhat in the same industry. I was burnt on trading, to be honest. And it was just, I learned a new skill set. I was there for five years, probably about two or three years in there. Again, I started migrating back to the trading desk. I eventually started working a different type of trading. I started doing a bit of foreign trading and I got in, I guess I want to say with the wrong person and he ended up, I don't like to play the victim card, but I really got screwed over by him mm. because he wanted to, sh- to take all the profits for himself. I actually got laid off from there and he took off. He had me cover the desk. I remember it was, he was Orthodox Jew. And it was for Passover. And he had me cover the desk because he couldn't be there because he was observing. And he had somebody else fire me oh. because he didn't have the courage to do it himself. Uh, yeah, that's lacking in character. I was going to say it sounds like it wasn't a good personality fit, but really it sounds like just not a good person. No, definitely not. But let me ask you this. So you were you were in that second and third job situation. Were you already feeling something was missing? Or yes. did, did you not have that self-awareness yet? I knew something was missing, but I think I had mentioned it to you. A lot of times decisions I made were based on fear mm-hmm. and it was, I need this salary. I need these benefits. I have to do this. It kind of drove me because I was so shell-shocked. I think my first job, it gave me a skewed sense of reality hmm. where I was really young, making a lot of money and it didn't make sense. I mean, I loved it at the time, but when that ended, it was shocking because you thought it was going to last forever. Right. And when it didn't, you realize, all right, I might not make that money. I'm still making good money. I have to at least sustain this. So I stayed at a job I was unhappy at for five years because of the fear of, all right, I don't want to have to look for a job again. I don't want to do this. It was a little bit of apathetic and just complacent. And I just, you know, there were so many changes in my life during that period too. I just needed some stability, I guess but I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with it. I wasn't happy at all. So there was something going on in your mindset already. And then yes. maybe in a way it was kismet that, that that guy fired you when you were leaving that toxic yes. environment, right? And th- does this bring you to when you were around 40 years old? Because I know you told me that was a pivotal moment. It brought me to the job before that. It okay. was when my friend, he was doing a startup and he was probably one of the most intelligent guys I know. He asked me to do it with him because he knew that I wasn't working. He thought I had, I was intelligent too. There were four of us in the company and we founded it. It was his baby. That was another pivotal point. I helped him build this business and this kind of took me out of my comfort zone. The first year, because it was a startup, I forewent my salary as like, uh, all right, you could hold on to it. You could pay me after the first year, but keep the money in the business. So that was a risk too. It was like I had to use what I had in the bank account and make it work. But I helped him build the business. But after the first year, I realized I was not happy here either. Uh, He was promising me the world. He wasn't delivering it to me. But I had this obligation to him that if I left, the business would crumble. I really felt that. And I felt this sense of loyalty to him. So I stayed with it for two years. And when you talked about an aha moment, I think... I had my aha moment here. So it was right before my 40th birthday. I was miserable. Every night before work, I would think of ways, how do I get out of going to work the next day? And I knew in my head, I'm like, that's a horrible sign. Totally. So I was like, how am I going to do this? I had the push and pull, the loyalty, what I wanted. We got in a fight one day over something that, again, he was supposed to do that he, he didn't do. And he said something that, 
irritated me. And I said, you know what? I effing quit. He goes, then quit. I said, I just fucking did. <laughs> and there was not one second where I was like, what did I just do? It was, thank God I did that. You could breathe again. Yeah. I'm like, why didn't I do this before? And that's when I also realized again that I was making these decisions out of fear versus what I knew I was competent to do. I didn't give myself enough credit mm. for actually finding something that I actually enjoyed. That's where the transition was. I took some time off and then started to talk to people. I remember you saying that yeah. you went out and began networking like a fiend, talking to your friends, and you really didn't know which industry you wanted to dive into yet, but you were starting to narrow it down and entertainment was one of the things you came up with. But how did you go further into specifically starting that job as a PA? Because I know that was your first entry into this new area, which I really applaud you for because, you know, entertainment so broad. How did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to PA on a commercial set? To be honest, I had no idea what I was going to do in it. But I had a friend also that went to Delaware that was also an alpha B, And it's kind of ironic because when I pledged as a freshman, she was a fifth year senior, kind of took me under her wing in college. And then when I talked to her, she was a commercial producer. I said, can I come to work with you? She goes, don't come to work for me, you can get PA for me. I said, I don't know what that means, but okay. She took me under her wing again. I saw the environment. I loved the feel of it. I loved the people that she was working with. I liked what she was doing. She was kind of my role model. I liked how she treated people. It seemed to me that I liked the work. I also have a math business head and this is like a creative environment and I don't really have a huge creative gene, but I learned as I was PAing that you don't necessarily need to be a creative person to do this. You have actually have to be more of like a problem solver, be able to wrap your head around numbers. Right. In the world of production management. Right. Yeah. So I, I did that job with her, but I wasn't, I was still a little bit unsure. But then when I finally, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for this. I'm like, it might take me a while. Talk about out of your comfort zone. Like I went from having a very stable financial life to making $200 a day. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, scary. And <laughs> I understand your hesitation. And not working every day. It sounds like an internship. I mean, you're talking about learning by doing, right? So you, you just decided to dive into this, which is brave and awesome. But you were, I think you said you were like 41 years old. So what was that like to go into that environment? And, and also you sort of left a lot of your accomplished life, if you will, behind to do something that must have been kind of humbling. It was very humbling. When I finally made the decision, I'm going to give it a shot. I said to myself, you got to put any sort of ego aside, put your head down and just work. Just work your ass off and show them that you're as competent as somebody basically half your age. You could run around, you could do all this stuff that they're asking you to do. Like I was getting coffee for people that were 20 years younger than me and have to do it with a smile on my face. You totally put your ego aside there. I had to because it was a type of career that you legitimately had to start from the bottom up. You could not step a step. And there's several different types of PAs. And Diana, my friend who brought me under her wing, she's like, talk to everybody on set, do every job see what you wanted to do. One point I wanted to be a wardrobe stylist. I wardrobe PA'd, hated it, hated it. never doing that. Mm -hmm. I even drove the truck one time, like the huge cube truck. I did everything. And then the niche for me was the office PA. I was like, I worked in an office my whole life. So the skills translated. That's when I saw, oh, basically I'm working with a budget. All right. 
so that's when I realized this is the path I want to go on. And that's going to lead me to producing. I didn't want to be like Diana thought I should be an AD. An AD on set is the person that runs the set. They do the scheduling. They work right under the director. You have to have a really type A personality for that. And I actually don't have a type A personality. I'm a little OCD and a little organized. And I thought that suited me better for the office. So then I just went for it. And I gave myself six months of PA. I said, I have to do this more than six months. This is not for me. Luckily, I got in with the right people and I was able to move up really quick to the next level. That's smart too. Giving yourself a timeline, like six months or I'm going to regroup. But it worked for you. I know you advanced pretty quickly. So talk to me about the next several years and how you started your production company. Yeah. So the next couple of years, I started about three months in, I moved up to the next level, which was production coordination. So it goes PA, production coordinator, production supervisor, and producer. Coordinator, I ended up being really good at that. I did that for probably, most people do that for a long time. That's probably the biggest chunk of time that people do that because you learn the most in that, I, I believe. But I also knew that I have the skills to become a production supervisor. So I think I did that for probably around a year, I want to say. Again, I took the shot. I started just putting it out there to everybody I worked with, like producers I worked with that I'm moving up. Luckily, it happened really quick. And I started to work production supervisor. That's where I got, fell into my old routine, where I got comfortable, not feeling too challenged. I liked the work a lot until I didn't. It was probably right before the pandemic where I had a job where it was a producer I worked with a lot. And we were just butting heads about a lot of things. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's like, I already, know, I already knew that I was capable of producing. And it just got me to the point, like, why am I still doing this? Right when I decided that I wanted to make that shift, then the pandemic happened that screwed up that plan. The year after the pandemic, I guess 2021, it was also another pivotal year because I was really feeling the burnout. I took a lot of time off last year. So last summer, I took two months off. That's the other thing about freelancing is I could choose when I want to work. That's the huge benefit to me. So last summer, I was fried. So I took two months off. Then I did a couple of travel jobs. And then there was some family stuff going on. So I had to take some more time off. And then when we got back, you know, I started producing. I love it. Initially, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with high maintenance directors, high maintenance clients, client and agency. I dealt with all this crap when I worked on Wall Street. I think, again, a little part of me thought, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm better suited to deal with the crew. But then when I thought about it more, I was like, a lot of these producers I was working with, I was basically producing for them. You know, I was doing a lot of their job and my job. So then I just finally said, you know what? I have to go for it. I did. And I was like rejuvenated again. And I'm at that place now where I love it again. There's certain parts about it that are new to me. I realized I'm actually really good at it too. So that was also something that was very validating to me. As a very confident person, there's always that it's it's weird sometimes when you doubt yourself, when you know you can do it. That again, it's that push and pull in my head. I do the best when I have to work for it, something. That's when I thrive most is when I'm just like, all right, the competitive nature in me comes out. And I'm like, I want to get to the top of this game. How am I going to do it? That's pretty much where the production path took me. I was like, I know I could do their job. I want to do that. Right. So you've reinvented a number of times. And as you said, in the last year, you went from production management, which you did successfully for a long time, to being a producer, being really in charge of it. 
and you feel like now you've found what fuels your soul. Do you believe that everyone should consider reinventing him or herself professionally? I do. I absolutely do. I feel like there's so many people that do jobs that don't fulfill them. When you think about it, we spend a huge portion of our lives working. You figure a third of our year working. So why don't we do something that we actually enjoy doing? And this job, I have, I think, a younger vibe to me. And I get to work with a lot of young, younger people. That's another thing that I love about this job is that I get to mentor these young people and watch them thrive, which is hugely satisfying to me. Hugely satisfying. I know. You've talked about that to me. Building relationships is a big part of your philosophy, what sets you apart and your your management style, owning your own production company, using the same team. I think that's amazing. We're talking about now teaching people and how you want to leave a mark. As far as my listeners are concerned, what are your top takeaways for people that are maybe hesitating on relaunching or reinventing? Top takeaway is have confidence in yourself. Something in your gut feels wrong. It probably is. So why waste the time being in something that doesn't light you up? Why not try to find it versus, well, what I did for so long. Well, this is easy. I'm comfortable. Things are fine. Things aren't fine if you're not feeling that, if you're feeling in the pit of your stomach that things aren't right. And you are a classic case of taking one step back to go a few steps forward. And you had the confidence to do that. I highly recommend that anybody who has that feeling or that gut instinct that they're not in the right space right there, make a move, explore. I took a lot of, a lot of steps back. I mean, I was doing the job of a college graduate. I mean, sometimes we would have kids in high school working on our sets, doing the same job I was doing. What is your biggest commercial that you are probably most proud of? One that we might know. Well, I think the most popular one that everybody would know, it was a few years ago and it was the Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett, Baby It's Cold Outside for Barnes and Noble. We actually built a Barnes and Noble store. That was a tough job. And then a couple of years ago, the Super Bowl commercials with Alec Baldwin and Missy Elliott, the uh, Amazon Alexa. Oh my God, totally. Super Bowl is like the creme de la creme. Like if you get one of those, right, then you really made it. Awesome. Yeah, but that's that's also an interesting part of my job. It's I work smarter, not harder. And a lot of those jobs, those big high profile jobs are a thousand times harder than like a little pharmaceutical job that I get hmm. without a celebrity talent. Interesting. So I factor that stuff in. I get paid the same amount. It's the same work, but there's a lot of stuff that at my age too, I don't want to deal with anymore. It's not like when I get on these jobs with these celebrity talents, not like I hobnob with these celebrities. It's like they give you sometimes a 10 page list of their requirements. And it's just like, I don't want to do that. So where should I send people to follow you? Instagram is where you're most active. And if we want to check out your work, turn on the TV. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's funny because when I see a commercial I do on TV, I record it because I'm in the process of building a website but I haven't quite got there. But if you want to know what I do, it's Hillary Z, H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-Z-E-E. Awesome. I'm Lucky 23 Productions. All right, Hillary Weintraub, thank you so much for coming on the show. I knew this was going to be amazing. Thank you for asking me. You're just as cool as you were in college. <laughs> I think you're pretty cool too. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, let's, let's do this again maybe in a little while. See where you're at. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You're listening to Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie. Share an episode, write a review. 
all your support is very much appreciated. We'll be back next week with another episode for you. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at I-R-O-M-I-C-K media.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.